The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. You're listening to episode 83 of the Pre-PA Club podcast. Today we're diving into PA contracts and negotiations with Leanne Hahn from Advanced Practice Provider Solutions. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining in and happy CASPA opening. It is official. Um, You can apply to PA school for the 2019 to 2020 cycle. Um, I am Savannah, by the way. I am a dermatology PA, and I also run the paplatform.com where you can find tons of resources to help you on your journey to becoming a PA, whether you're pre-PA, a PA student, um, we are there for you. So um, I'm really excited about today's episode, and before we jump into it, I do want to mention our sponsor, which is My PA Resource. And so My PA Resource is, um, you know... I would assume you've already kind of started working on your essay if you're applying this cycle, but if you haven't, you need my PA resource because they're an essay editing service specifically for PA school. So if you need someone to look over your essay, edit, check your grammar, check your flow, make sure you're touching on all of the main topics, answering all of the essential questions, um, my PA resource can offer you that. Um, They only use PAs to edit. I'm an editor for them. And um, yeah, so go check out the website, myparesource.com. You can use the code PREPA Club for a discount if you decide to use that service. And there is a free workshop to check out if you're just like, I have no idea where to start. I don't know what to put in my essay. I know I want to become a PA. I can't say why. Um, so that's something to work on, and the free workshop can help you out with that. All right, so before we get into today's episode, um, if you're a pre PA, student, you may be kind of going, um, why does this matter to me? Contracts, negotiations, I just want to get into PA school. Um, but I think as a pre-PA student, it's so important to be looking towards the future and learning as much as you can along the way, because they really don't teach you this in PA school, unfortunately. And this is a talk that Leanne goes and gives to, um, PA students. And so, in part one, a couple weeks ago, we talked about resumes, which is definitely relevant because some schools do want you to upload a resume to CASPA. Um, and then last week, we talked about interviewing for PA jobs and things to look for. So today, we're going to dive into contracts, negotiations, things to look out for, things to ask for. Um, you never know until you ask. And so these are things that 
you know, PA school flies by. So when you're going into your clinical year, starting to look for jobs, come back and revisit this and make sure that you're kind of applying these, these tips and techniques to make sure you're getting what you're worth. But let's dive in. And if you want to watch this with the presentation, go to youtube.com slash the PA platform. So uh, the next section I talk about is contracts, and I've kind of mixed that in a little bit with what I was just talking about, but now we'll just focus on that. Um, so you've got the job, now what? Do I have to sign as offered? No, you don't. Uh, can I negotiate the terms? Yes, you can. Uh, it depends on your employer. Like I said, the very first job offer I get, that guy didn't want to talk to me about negotiating on anything at all. Um, so you have to determine whether or not that relationship is going to be a good fit if that's the response that you get. Um, other important considerations, termination provisions, applicable law, restrictive covenants. I'm getting into big words here. Um, termination provisions is basically talking about if the employer doesn't like you and they want to get rid of you, how many days notice do they have to give you or can you leave effective immediately? And same thing, you want it the other way around. If you want to leave, it's not a good fit. How much notice do you have to give them? And usually that's spelled out in the contract. Applicable law, this is state dependent. Restrictive covenants, we kind of touched on that a little bit. Uh, this is also known as like a non-compete. You want to really look for this in your contract. If it doesn't have one, fantastic. But if they do, this is something that can literally make or break your career. Um, so you really want to be knowledgeable about what your non-compete says and what it's going to be restricting you from doing and can you negotiate the terms of it or have it removed completely. Uh, everything's legally binding. You need to read and understand everything that you're signing. It's so important. Um, most of this part of my presentation, generally my husband will do since he's the attorney and I'm not. Uh, so I'll go over this to the best of my knowledge. Uh, we talk about employment law basics. Um, employee, you're under the control and supervision of the employer. You work for the employer for a wage, salary, payment, or fee. The terms of your employment under an express or implied agreement. Uh, your employer is likely to provide benefits or medical malpractice and taxes will be withheld by the employer. And then I talk about independent contractor. Um, and this is basically just the definitions and how they're different. The general rule is that an individual is an independent contractor if the payer has the right to control or direct only the result of the work and not what will be done or how it will be done. And so this gets kind of sticky because there's actually people who are hiring PAs as independent contractors. But if the IRS were to actually look at it, they would not classify that. You, your schedule and where to be and when to do it and how to do it, you're technically not an independent contractor. And as an independent contractor, you have to be able to make your own decisions and schedules. And so this gets sticky. I like a good example of a independent contractor situation um, versus employee situation might be like a hospitalist position. Uh, there's some hospitalist positions where they'll say, you're going to work seven on, seven off, Here's the patients that you're going to be seeing, and you must be present in the hospital on these days for these shifts from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And they kind of dictate what you're doing, but they want to pay you as 1099. That gets a little sticky, whereas you could have a hospitalist position where you show up whenever you want to show up. You know that you need to get the job done. You show up at a reasonable time. Maybe you show up at 7 in the morning. You show up at 9 in the morning. You could show up at noon but you know that you have a job that needs to get done and you get your list of patients and you see your patients on your time during the time frame it needs to be done. And when you're done seeing your patients, you leave. Uh, this would be a closer example to somebody that would be better classified as an independent contractor compared to the other example that I gave. 
Um, so it can get sticky and uh, there's definitely some things where you can get reclassified as one or the other based on what the IRS thinks, um, something to consider. So I talked about uh, some other things with Florida, how we don't have malpractice requirements. Uh, another thing about Florida is that we're also considered an at-will state. And I wish I could talk to you about every single state in the country, but I can't. Um, this is just because this is where I am. So the employer can determine the terms and conditions of employment. And I'm sure Florida is not the only at-will state. Um, they can change the terms and conditions at any time for any reason with or without advance notice and they can also let you go without warning and so basically that's the basis of being an at-will state if you live in an at-will state the employer can let you go for no reason they don't have to have a reason um, but it cannot be for any illegal reasons so examples of this might be if you are working at an employer and maybe you notice that they're doing something against the law and you bring it to their attention, maybe thinking that they didn't know. And you just say, hey, this front desk girl is not a certified x-ray technician. She shouldn't be using the x-ray machine. We have to have somebody with a basic machine operator license or whatever it may be to operate this machine. And maybe the employer didn't know that. And so you just bring it to their attention, but then you show up to work the next day and they've terminated you. That might be grounds for saying, you know what? This is not a situation where I'm being terminated at will. This is more of a whistleblower situation. And that's, again, where you're going to want to get an attorney who's ultimately going to decide those things. But there's certain situations where you actually would not be considered being terminated at will. And it would be more of a whistleblower issue for you bringing up certain things to their attention or there being illegal activity. But there's a lot of different situations where that might look completely different. Uh, how do you protect yourself? Um, your contract, that's the number one thing, making sure that everything's in writing, uh, understanding for cause and without cause, which normally is spelled out in a contract. You know, what reasons can they terminate you? What reasons can they um, let you go for no reason or not or whatever? So normally they spell this out. If it's with cause, it'll usually be things like, oh, well, you lose your license or you get sued or in a malpractice lawsuit or you lose your privileges at a hospital. Those are usually reasons why an employer is going to let you go. And then there's the without cause where maybe the personality is just not working out and they're just going to let you go. And that's okay in some states. Um, so you definitely want to make sure that your contract talks about terms of notice for termination. Like we talked about, uh, how much notice do you have to give? How much notice do they have to give? And it can be really complex. So um, other considerations, we talk again about non-competes. This is usually a huge issue for everyone. Um, this is an example of a non-compete clause in this particular situation. For 18 months, this person's unable to perform certain services. And uh, this is within a five-mile radius of the practice or any other location which this physician is rendering services for the owner um, on behalf of herself or of any competitive business for which the primary services blah, blah, blah. Uh, so this is just an example, and this is not something that's like standard across the board. This really varies. Like I've seen some where it goes for two years, five years. I've seen them go five-mile radiuses to 50-mile radiuses. I've seen uh, different clauses in contracts that say if you break your contract and you don't stay with us or you violate any of the terms here, you owe us $500,000. I mean, you never know. 
Um, Non-solicitation, this is typically something that's also in contracts. Uh, basically, it just prevents you from soliciting uh, former patients. So say, for example, you work for one primary care doctor and now you're going to work for another one. They don't want you on social media basically recruiting your former patients to follow you to the new place. This could get you in trouble. And then there's arbitration clauses. Um, some contracts have these, some contracts don't. This is generally something that if you see an arbitration clause, it's in the favor of the employer. And basically, in a nutshell, an arbitration allows the employer to mediate or negotiate uh, any disputes outside of court prior to you filing a lawsuit. Uh, the issue is, is that if you file a lawsuit, that that's public information. And so they try to avoid this becoming public by having an arbitration clause where you don't file anything yet, nothing's public yet, and we try to mediate something with a neutral party um, outside of court. She um, went out of the duration of your employment. Does the contract say it expires after a year? Is it indefinite? Can you renew it? What does it say? Uh, Basic takeaways, understand the terms of your contract. There are no two contracts that are exactly alike. They're often drafted in employer favor. And ideally we wanna see a contract that's favored for the employer and the employee. And I do see these often. Um, so if it's super employer favored, it may not be good for you. Um, avoid any ambiguities. You really want clarification on vague terms like things we talked about, such as two weeks. What is two weeks? Um, retain a duly executed copy, again, like big legal jargon. What does that mean? Basically, this is like, oh, okay, you send me the contract, I'm gonna sign it and scan it back to you, but now I need a copy of the contract signed by you. So you wanna make sure that when you do sign your contract, do you get back a copy that has their signature and your signature because this makes it more enforceable and easier for an attorney to defend you should that ever become a problem for you in the future. And I think oftentimes people send their signed contract and they never get back the one that has both signatures, and that's something people need to think about. If you have any questions about any of this stuff, get a professional, hire a company like mine, or find an attorney, somebody that's really well-versed in this type of thing to help you. Um, negotiations. Do you have any comments before I move forward with this? Well, so is there a way to break a contract, or should it kind of specify, specify in there like what that would have to look like? So when you break a contract often, or if they break a contract, it's called- Yeah, breach. or if they break one, that may even be the better point. Yeah, so there's something called breach. And a lot of these contracts that people will hand me like 10, 17, 20 page contracts, typically those will have some language in it about breach of contract and when a contract can be broken. So if an employer violates certain terms or, or if their contract, whatever that may be, and you give them notice, and then they fail to do anything about it, they may be in breach of contract. So if their contract says that they are gonna give you a paycheck every two weeks, and then they start paying you like once every other month, whenever they feel like it, they may be in breach of contract. And you can say to them, hey guys, your contract says this, we need to remedy this by seven days or whatever you guys decide on. Sorry, sometimes in your contract, it'll actually specify how many days it needs to be remedied by. And, um, if they do not comply with that, then they are in breach of contract and then you can leave your contract uh, typically and then everything's void. Everything's void at that point. Um, so yeah, you just wanna know if you're in a breach of contract type of situation or not. And then you can, can leave and they could do the same. Okay, and then do non-competes tend to hold up? I mean, I feel like that's something I see a lot. Like 
can they even be enforced? And, and from what I've heard and read, it tends to be more state dependent and how it is. State dependent. Okay. And it depends on how crazy it is. Like if they yeah. have a, something in there that says you're going to owe them $500,000, that might not be enforceable. And again, I'm not an attorney, but that's such an astronomical number that you may be able to find representation that can argue that this number is unreasonable. This doesn't make sense. Or if somebody says you can never work for primary care ever again for the next 15 years, somebody will probably be able to represent you and say, this is too strict. This is not fair or valid. And then they would likely just reduce the terms or who knows me, throw it out. Hard to predict. Uh, but something that you sign that says one year, five miles. If you sign that and you agree to it, that's very valid and can be enforced. And basically anything that you're signing and agreeing to can be enforced. So that's why it's really important um, to keep in mind what are you about non-competes. They'll just go off and do stuff against their non-compete anyways. Um, and for most employers, what I've heard when I talk to them about non-competes, they say that that's really there for their protection in case there's somebody that they kind of get into a tiff with somebody that upsets them or is just a pain and then they want to be able to enforce that. But a lot of people don't actually end up enforcing it, but then you're just gambling basically at that point. It's just all a gamble because if they wanted to, they could. Okay. All right. Negotiations. So I wish I had more slides on negotiations, but this is an example offer letter or contract. And I kind of point out different sections and how I might have negotiated it differently or better. Um, here, let's see. So this is just an offer letter. It's not a contract. It says, dear so-and-so, this company is extending an offer of employment to you as a full-time physician's, gotta love that, uh, mm -hmm. S. <laughs> assistance PAC this employment agreement is made on such and such a day of this month by this company and your name and it's going to begin immediately and the following represents an outline of our terms of employment devotion of duties so they're saying you're going to provide non-surgical orthopedic services on behalf of the corporation as a physician's assistant at such and such location and the employee is going to provide the services on a full-time basis, and the party agrees that full-time means a minimum of 40 hours a week, as well as the employee's proportionate share of call coverage. Okay. Well, what I like about that is that they didn't just say full-time, which a lot of contracts do, is they actually spelled out for us what full-time means to them. So that's nice. But we do want to know specifics if they're willing to put it in there as far as what does your schedule look like, how many days are you working, um, and uh, what is your proportionate call coverage share mean uh, then goes on to term and in this particular section they talk about uh, for no reason or any reason they can upon 60 days prior written notice to their party you guys can you know part ways 60 days isn't bad that's actually pretty normal for most PA contracts is 60 to 90 days for a hospital it's usually about 90 because it takes that long to get somebody credentialed uh, but for the benefit of you the lower this number, the better, because if you find a really good job position, maybe they can't wait 60 days. You may want this to be lower, and this may be a point of consideration to negotiate down. So when it's time for you to exit, you don't have to wait two months. Something to think about. Uh, so the next page. This, I'm just gonna kind of point out what I said here. Yeah. <laughs> 
So additional compensation, once you're credentialed and we're able to commence billing for your services, you'll also receive 10% of collected revenue for professional services performed by you beyond 140,000 on a quarterly calendar basis. So I say, that's nice, but can you even hit 140,000 on a quarterly basis? And if you can, how do you know that you are? Are they being transparent? Are they showing you the books? Like how is this being tracked? Um, and the other thing that we don't know here is, okay, so you're performing professional services. Are they considering this collected revenue? Like that's what it says here, 10% of collected revenue. That's something to keep in mind. And not just what you're billing, but what they're actually collecting. Because if they never get paid by somebody, it's not collected revenue. And how do you know that you're even going to get paid like that quickly on a quarterly basis by insurance companies, by patients, by whomever? So this can become sticky. Um, so it's not just what you're billing. It's actually what they're collecting. Um, so we need more specifics on these numbers. Uh, down here, professional liability insurance. The employer is going to cover the cost of your malpractice insurance. That's very vague. We don't know if that's claims made. We don't know if that's occurrence. Um, they're covering the cost of my malpractice. Does that mean that they're paying for it or I'm getting my own? What does that mean? Uh, so this is not clear. And if it is claims made, who's paying for my tail? Uh, over here, health insurance. The employer is going to provide the group with health and dental insurance coverage for you commencing after three months of employment. And again, I say just because they provide the insurance doesn't mean that they're paying for it. So we have no idea here if the employer is paying part of this, some of this, none of this. If they just offer it and you're paying $500 a month, we don't know that. So we want to get more details there. Um, is there a match or are you all only contributing to 401k? I talked about this earlier. So here you can see that in writing. 401k plan. Our benefit program includes participation in our 401k, which will begin after you've completed one year of employment. Plan summaries and eligibility requirements to be provided. So we want to take a look at that. We want to know, are they going to match or is this just something I'm able to contribute to? Here they're paying this person $90,000 always try to negotiate your salary. It can't hurt, right? So even if you think that whatever number they've put on the piece of paper is completely fair for you, I say try. Um, it definitely can't hurt if they have a little bit of wiggle room. So here they do the vacation time thing where they say, oh, you will be eligible for three weeks of vacation, including illness after three months of employment. Unused time is not payable upon termination. So in this situation, because they've explicitly stated that your unused time is not payable upon termination, they don't have to pay it out. But if that line wasn't there, you could be entitled to that PTO because they're giving it to you up front. You're not accruing it. So what we want to know here is um, three weeks vacation. Does three me weeks mean seven days times three? Does it mean five days times three? So how many days are we really looking at here? We need to define what they think a week is. And then just like typical things that we talked about, non-disclosures, confidentiality, these are really common to having contracts. And actually, I would argue, since we're at the end of this contract, that this contract is not very thorough at all. Um, so there's probably, this is not employer favored by any means, because if this went to court, they're missing a lot of stuff. But that's their problem. So, and it, it could be your problem if there's certain things you guys talked about that's not in here and for your protection too. So definitely something to keep in mind, but this is a poorly written contract. So at the end, everybody signs. And remember, when you sign and you send this back, you want to get it sent back to you with these signatures as well. So this is a disclaimer. I had initially made this for a school. Uh, so if I were to 
make my disclaimer here on your podcast, I would say that the views and opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the author, which would be myself, and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the PA platform, IRS, FAPA, or the AAPA, or any other state association. We're not a law firm, we're not an accounting firm, uh, but we're a really good resource if you need help. So definitely check out the website and the services that we offer. And I agree with the advice you have given, <laughs> if it matters. Cool, yeah, so I, I think I, it's pretty thorough. I try to think about other questions yeah. people have asked. Um, so one question about negotiations. I mean, do you feel like with like a big hospital and corporation and maybe with your healthcare administration stuff now, do you feel like there's room to negotiate? Or in those cases, is it more of like, this is what we're gonna offer, and this is how it is. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the things that I've seen from actual hospitals um, that are like giving you the contract and it's not like a hospitalist group, it's actually you're being employed by the hospital. Uh, they're not so willing to negotiate on much. They're kind of like, this is what you get. This is what everybody gets. This is how it is. Um, and in that situation, I wouldn't necessarily turn it down or think of it as something that's bad. It just depends on the terms of the contract, what they're offering you, and if it's really a package that's worth taking. Um, I mean, I had a situation like that recently where I was interviewing for no reason, and I came upon a job that would have been uh, monetarily very beneficial to me. But at the end of the day, what ended up happening was um, they had a four-month policy where I had to give them four months' notice if I wanted to leave. And I said, this is ridiculous. I said, I'm not going to give you four months' notice if I want to leave this job. And they were not willing to negotiate on that. And for me, that was something I wasn't willing to sign because I didn't want to commit to something that I didn't know how it was going to work out and then have to be stuck there giving four months notice. Then I can't even tell another employer, oh, well, I have to be at my current job for four months. That's probably not going to fly. There's no other job that's going to wait for me for four months until I leave my job. So it, it became a little sticky. And I decided that for me, I wasn't really willing to sign that. Yeah, no, that's completely reasonable. Okay, yeah, no, I think we covered a lot of the essentials. I definitely welcome uh, any additional questions. If there's something I haven't touched on or brought up, uh, they can feel free to message you or, or me on okay. social media or on my website, and then I can uh, address those with anybody that sends us questions. Yeah, and I'll definitely um, make sure I put all of the links and stuff in the description and make sure I can can find you but no I think this was helpful and I think we definitely need to talk more about that 1099 stuff because I don't understand it but you do <laughs> I'm doing it more than 10 years now so I'm that's a amazing big advocate for 1099 I think a lot of people are not doing 1099 because they're scared and it does involve a lot of paperwork and tracking things and if you don't understand it, it can be really intimidating, but if you do understand it and you have a good accountant, it can actually be very beneficial. So uh, it just depends. Okay, cool. Let me try to stop this and see what happens. All right, y'all. I hope you feel more prepared and more informed about what it takes to negotiate a great contract and um, get a job as a PA. So Leanne will be back in a couple of weeks to go over what it looks like to be a 1099 independent contractor as a PA and what the benefits of that are. Um, so that'll be really helpful to anyone on the job search or kind of looking for maybe 
not necessarily a non-traditional job, but maybe a non-traditional route compared to what most PAs end up doing. Um, I do want to mention also PA school prep. So if you're getting ready to start PA school, um, you definitely want to go to paschoolprep.com and check that out. It is a program that is designed to help prepare you for that first didactic year of PA school. It's a review of anatomy and physiology as well as medical terminology um, by PAs, and they know what PA school entails and what you need to know to do well um, and not be as stressed out. So go check that out. Um, it is available. It's an online course, and you can use the code PREPA Club there as well for a discount. And you can also use that on the PA platform.com for any services as far as PREPA assessments or mock interviews, um, which interview season is coming up, and it is my favorite. So all right, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so, so much for listening. And if you love this episode, if you loved any episode and you feel so inclined to leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, go to YouTube, subscribe there. Just make sure you're following along so you don't miss out on anything awesome um, because there's a lot of cool stuff coming up.